Our lesson comes from Daniel chapter 4, beginning at the 24th verse. Daniel said, this is the interpretation of the dream, O king, and it is a decree from the Most High that has come upon the Lord my king, for you will be driven from among men, and you will dwell among the beasts of the field, and you will eat grass like an ox, and you will be wet with the dew of heaven until seven seasons pass over you, and you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. Verse 28, and all these things came upon Nebuchadnezzar. After 12 months, the king was walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon, and the king said, is not this great Babylon that I have built by the might of my hands for a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this is spoken to you. You will be driven from among men, and you will dwell among the beasts of the field, and you will eat grass like an ox, and after seven seasons you will know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he pleases. And immediately this word was fulfilled over Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox. And he was wet with the dew from heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails like a bird's claw. And after these days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise, extol, and honor the King of heaven. His ways are just. His works are right. And for those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the good news of this very strange Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar story? What is the good news of this strange Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar story. Well, the good news is this, that God humbles prideful people to make them useful again for his kingdom. That God is not done with prideful people, but that God is in the business of humbling prideful people so that they can be again of use in his kingdom. We live in a world swimming with pride. We see it probably most visibly during the election cycle. You all know that tomorrow Canada votes for a new government. I know you're all waiting with bated breath. It's kind of like the story of the politician who dies. And when he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates, Peter says, well, you know, because you're a politician, we actually have a different protocol for you. You, as a politician, actually have to spend one day 
in hell first, and at the end of that day, you can vote for where you want to spend eternity, heaven or hell. And so suddenly, the man is in this beach resort with a five-star restaurant, a beautiful golf course, and all his family and friends. And this man walks up in this wonderful, expensive suit and introduces himself as the devil. No horns, no tail. And the devil says, welcome to hell. And the man says, I don't quite understand. The devil says, oh, we get a bad rap all the time. Your job today is to enjoy all of hell. Enjoy the resort and the golf course and the five-star restaurant and all your family and friends. And at the end of today, you can vote where you want to spend eternity. And so the man does. He spends the day in hell. Has a great time. At the end of the day, Satan again comes up to him in that expensive suit and says, so, how do you vote? And he said, well, you know, honestly, as strange as it sounds, I, I think I'm going to vote to stay here. It's great. It's amazing. And so the man goes to bed that night at the resort and wakes up the next morning and the resort is gone and the five-star restaurant's gone and the golf course is gone and all his family and friends, well, a few family and friends are still there, but it's Dante's, it's Dante's inferno. Like it's fully what he expected of hell. And suddenly the devil's there and there's no fancy suit. It's all horns and tail. And the man says, I don't understand what happened to the resort and the restaurant and the golf course and family and friends and all the, what, what happened to all the things you showed me yesterday that hell could be like? And the devil said, well, it's easy. Today's the day after you voted. Yesterday, we were still campaigning. <laughs> pride is not just present in civic leaders and politicians, but pride is present everywhere. And it's present in you and me. C.S. Lewis says of pride that the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Lewis goes on to say, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison with pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Prideful King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the known world at that time, has Daniel the prophet sent to him because God is in the business of humbling prideful people for the sake of releasing them back into kingdom service. See, what happens, the background of this is all of Daniel 11. It's an amazing, crazy, weird, strange story, but it begins with a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream as is so common in the Old Testament, none of his pagan wise men can interpret it. Only Daniel, the Hebrew wise man, can interpret it. And he does interpret it. And, and the dream is summed up in verse 25. If you're with me here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, it's summed up in this. You, Nebuchadnezzar, shall be driven from among men, and you will dwell with the beasts of the earth, and you'll eat grass like an ox and be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you before you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. See, this strange prediction that Nebuchadnezzar will be humble to the point of actually becoming like an animal 
then happens. Whether it's some kind of mental psychotic break, he ends up out in the wilderness like an animal for seven periods of time. But at the end of it, he's restored back to his throne. This crazy, strange story is ultimately good news for us because what it's telling us is that God is in the business of taking prideful people, humbling them even through strange circumstances in order to reinstate them for better service. See, all of it kind of hinges on verse 17. If you're with me in Daniel 4, verse 17, which was during the dream, kind of encapsulates the whole of this message, the whole of the good news. Verse 17, which is repeated at verse 25 and verse 32, contains all of it. There's three lessons that Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn. And the first lesson that he learns from verse 17 in this whole story will dethrone Nebuchadnezzar. The first lesson will get him off his throne It will kick him off his high horse. It will humble him. But not only will the first lesson dethrone him, the second lesson will disentitle him. That all of a sudden, because of the second lesson he learns in this, he no longer will believe that he is entitled or has rights to all these things he has. But not only dethroned, not only disentitled, finally, the third lesson is that once he's humbled and lowly, Nebuchadnezzar can be put back in service. That God can restore this humbled king back into service. This is incredible news for us. See, the first lesson he learns is that the good news is that God humbles the proud in order to dethrone us. That we are humbled for the purpose of dethroning us. Verse 17, the first part. Know, you shall know, and the living shall know, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. The first lesson Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn is that he's not in control, that he's not in charge, that he's not God. God is the one who's really ruling. He's not in charge. Nebuchadnezzar is not in charge. It's like Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer once on an airplane. When the flight attendant came up to him and asked him to put his seatbelt on, Muhammad Ali responded, Superman don't need no seatbelts. To which the flight attendant responded, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) We have a terrible propensity to have pride grow in our hearts more than we think it's there. And we'll begin changing the way we see the world and begin making us believe the lie that we're in charge, that we're in control, and that in fact we can completely govern and control not only ourselves, but everything around us. And we put ourselves on a throne. As Craig Gay, who's our lecturer for our technology conference in a couple weeks, writes, he says, the greatest temptation that we as modern people face is not the temptation of personal immorality, or the temptation of social injustice, the greatest temptation modern people face is the temptation of control. The scientific knowledge and modern technology has given us the ability to exercise unprecedented control over our world, and therefore we begin to live as if God doesn't really exist. 
Verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar's walking upon the roof of his palace and he looks over mighty Babylon and what does he say? He says, is not this great Babylon, listen to the pronouns, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar has come to the place where he believes that all of his accomplishments have been wrought at his hands. But what follows immediately? Verse 31. The words, I love it. Verse 31. The words were still in the king's mouth. These prideful words were still in his mouth and a voice falls from heaven and says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this is spoken to you. The kingdom has departed from you. What Nebuchadnezzar learns in this crazy story of literally being driven into the wilderness for a period of time and functioning like a beast, he realizes that this is actually completely out of his control. He doesn't have the control that he thinks he has. He's believed the lie that he is sitting on the throne and God is in the business of kicking us off thrones that we don't belong in. As the Magnificat, Luke chapter one, Mary's song which we just read a few moments ago. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. It is good news that we are dethroned by God because we do not belong on that throne. It is a lie. I think the best moment of this is in the Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, when King Caspian, the king of all Narnia, returns to the Lone Islands, a region that hasn't had a visit from a Narnian king for many centuries. And the whole region functions as if it's not really under the lordship of Narnia. And so as they arrive, Caspian, the king, isn't even recognized by his subjects, nor by the elected, corrupt, ridiculous governor, Gumpus. Lewis writes this, he says, behind a table at the far end with various secretaries about him sat his sufficiency, the governor of the Lone Islands. He did not recognize when Caspian entered. And so Caspian nodded to Lord Byrne and then stood aside. Byrne and Drinian took a step forward and each seized one end of the table they lifted it, flung it on one side of the hall where it rolled over, scattering a cascade of letters, dossiers, ink pots, pens, sealing wax, and documents. Then, not roughly, but as firmly as if their fingers were pincers of steel, they plucked Gumpus from his chair and deposited him facing it about four feet away. Caspian at once sat down on the chair, laid his sword across his knees and said, my Lord, fixing his eyes on Gumpus, you have not given us quite the welcome we expected. We are the king of Narnia. You see, our pride which lies to us and begins to enthrone us in God's place is not just arrogance. Our pride is blasphemy. At the funeral of Louis XIV, the French king who declared himself the Sun King, where at his instructions for the funeral, the cathedral lights were all to be dimmed except for a candle that burned right by the head of his open casket so the whole congregation could see even in death that he glowed as the sun king. 
Jean-Baptiste Massillon, the preacher, walked up on his way to deliver the funeral homily, blew out the candle, and declared over the cathedral, Dieu sur les grandes, God alone is great. We are, as a prideful people, humbled so that we will be dethroned because we do not belong there. But it's not just good news that God dethrones us as he humbles us as a prideful people. The good news is that God humbles the proud in order to disentitle us. See, verse 17 goes on, the second lesson. That you shall know that the Most High gives the kingdom to whoever he wills. In other words, the second lesson that Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn and that we need to learn is that Nebuchadnezzar has no right to what he has and no right to what he doesn't have. That all that he has or all that he doesn't have is simply given by the will of God. The Most High and His will is what decides what one man and one woman will have and what another man and another woman will not have. When things go wrong, human beings have a tendency to cry out, it's not fair. Because we are swimming in a culture of entitlement. But be careful that we don't accuse just one particular generation of being a generation of entitlement. I read these words not long ago. These words. Our youth now love luxury. They've got bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to their elders. They love ranting instead of working. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They rant before a company. They gobble up their food. They tyrannize their teachers. Do you know who wrote these words? The Greek philosopher Socrates in the 5th century BC. <laughs> Every generation is guilty of entitlement. This is from pride. Pride makes us feel entitled. We say it differently. Sometimes we'll say, I worked hard for this. Or we say horribly unbiblical things like God helps those who helps them help themselves. Nebuchadnezzar has to lose everything to learn that everything he has is not his by rights. He has to lose everything to realize that what he has is not his by rights. He's not entitled. He's not earned it. It's simply a gift from God. Everything he has. He has to learn this the hard way. Verse 34, I love his redemption. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And what does he do? He's lost everything. He turns to God. His reason returns to him. And the first words out of his mouth, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. The first words out of his mouth, having learned this lesson, were words of thanksgiving and praise. I know that all of you had a great Thanksgiving this week. It was Thanksgiving this week. You all had your turkey and your Molson Canadian and your Putin. 
Canadian Thanksgiving was last Monday. Come on, y'all. But here's the amazing thing. The litmus test for how disentitled we've become is how freely thanksgiving comes out of us. The litmus test for how disentitled we have become by grace is evidenced by how freely thanksgiving pours out of us. What we have is not earned. What we have, we are not entitled to. What we have is by grace from God Most High. See, the good news is that God humbles the proud in order to dethrone us from where we do not belong, to disentitle us, to recognize that everything we have is gift. And then finally, the good news is that God humbles the proud in order to deploy us, not to destroy us, to deploy us, to send us back into service. Verse 17, the third lesson for Nebuchadnezzar and for us. Verse 17, that we will know that the Most High sets over the kingdom the lowliest of men. That at the end of the day, the Lord will set the lowliest and the humbled over the kingdom. It's the Lord's intention to place the humble man and the humble woman, the lowly man and the lonely woman over the kingdom. We see that in Nebuchadnezzar's reinstatement in verse 36. At the same time, he says, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my splendor returned to me, my counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. But as he learned his lesson, verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven whose works are right and whose ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. See, Nebuchadnezzar's reinstatement helps him realize that through his humiliation, he's learned how to be the kind of king God needs him to be. It's actually been through his humbling, through becoming low, that he is now going to be a better king. Nebuchadnezzar's story ends well. He ends his days as a good, humbled, lowly king under God. Because the humiliation has taught him this lesson. King Nebuchadnezzar, King David, Simon Peter... Saul of Tarsus, all learned to be better leaders because they were humbled and made lowly. It's a little bit like Mark Twain, who once wrote, a man who carries a cat by a tail learns something he can learn in no other way. It is through humiliation, humbling, being brought low, that we learn what it means to be deployed in the kingdom of God. It's why I'm not giving up on the Dallas Stars. Because <laughs> they're awful. They're being so humbled right now. Oh, could that be the beginning of something good? But friends, you know why God deploys 
those who are lowly, those who have been humbled, because those are the ones that look like his son. The reason God deploys us after he's humbled us and brought us to become lowly is because then we begin to image his son who, as Philippians chapter 2, Paul promises, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself. I began by looking at politicians and it seems right to end with a redeemed politician. I can't read this Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel story and not think of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, who was Nixon's self-proclaimed hatchet man, who once said that he would walk over his own grandmother to get Nixon elected. As Colson awaited trial for Watergate, a friend gave him a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, told him the gospel, and told Colson he needed to repent before a holy God. And when Colson left his friend's house that night, he had to pull over in his car on the side of the road and acknowledge his guilt before God and acknowledge that Jesus had died for his sins and cried out repeatedly in the car, Lord Jesus, take me. Colson pled guilty. Colson went to prison. But when he came out, he devoted the rest of his life to leading a prison ministry that transformed countless lives and transformed this nation. In Colson's own words, just before his death in 2012, he said this Whatever good I may have done, is because God saw fit to humble me through water gates and to convert a broken sinner. What is the good news of this strange Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar story? The good news is that God humbles prideful people to make us useful again for his kingdom. I don't know what season of humbling you've been through of late. I don't know what season of humbling you may worry is right around the corner. But here's what's amazing. We need not have these tremendous Nebuchadnezzar and Chuck Colson-like falls for God to humble our hearts. We need only look to the table. See, as we come in every week, we are confronted 
as we walk to this table, we rehearse, we participate in the reality of our sin, our brokenness, our pride, and of the amazing cost to God to bring us home. As we come to this table and Jesus is both sacrifice and priest and host, we confront the living God and are to be humbled to the core of our being. As we come to this table each week, we will, if our ears are open, if our hearts are ready to receive, if we're paying attention to the gospel, we will, as we come to this table, be dethroned every week. And we will, as we come to this table every week, be disentitled. And then, as we walk away from this table, we will be deployed, humbled, lowly, Christ-like, for the sake of the world. As we come to this table and receive the words of verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar's words become true for us. Now I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for his works are right and his ways are just and those who have walked in pride he is able to humble. This is our hope. This is our good news. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.